When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If the pandemic showed us that our work-life balance can change on a dime, and it ignited a debate about how much we should work from home and how much we should work from the office, it didn't end there. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I spoke to Joe O'Connor, Director of the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence in Toronto and a leading evangelist for the four-day work week. O'Connor says it's obvious that email, smartphones, so much technology has made us more efficient And so knocking one day off of the work week, it makes employees more engaged. And it's actually an advantage for companies, especially when it comes to recruiting. As labor shortages touch every industry, he said hundreds of companies across the world and more than a dozen in Canada have already experimented with or are currently experimenting with a four-day work week. And he said it's coming sometime in the future. As always, the interview is edited for clarity and brevity. Hey, Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, Gabe. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So your job is to advocate for a four-day work week. I think what everyone wants to know about that is how did you get that job? So I first became interested in the subject of work time reduction all the way back in 2018. As listeners might be able to tell from my accents, um, I'm originally from Ireland. I was working for the largest representative body of public sector workers in Ireland at the time and became interested in this and organized an, an international conference on that subject. But just to clarify something, though, like what is a public representative body? So it's effectively a labor organization um, would be described as a, a union, I think, here. Okay, a labor union. Got it. Okay. And since then, I've I've been involved in this either as part of or entirely for a number of different jobs. I was the CEO of Four Day Week Global, which is the organization that has been coordinating global trials of the four-day working week over the course of the last year. We've had about 200 companies taking part in those trials across the US and Canada, UK and Ireland, and also uh, Australia and New Zealand. And now I've recently moved to Toronto and have established a new business here, which is the Center of Excellence for Work Time Reduction. And really, our our objective is to take the shorter working week conversation and movement to the next level and to really support and scale that through offering the kinds of supports that, that we've learned that businesses need to start this journey towards shortening their work week. Okay. You you started off by saying you became interested in work time reduction. What were people's initial reactions? Like, what did you just like tell your boss? Well, there was a couple of things. First of all, in Ireland, following the financial crisis, there was some additional working hours imposed on public sector workers as as one of the measures in response to that period, that that kind of post-recession period. And very much the sense we were getting from people was that the additional hours that had been imposed weren't necessarily with any productivity or performance objective. They weren't linked to output. They were just added on. And and people were, were talking about how they didn't really feel that they added a huge amount of value. What happened exactly? They said everyone has to work a couple extra hours? Yeah, that's right. Effectively, legislation was brought in uh, to do that. 
And we were observing at the time there had been some high-profile trials of shorter work weeks in Sweden and in New Zealand that same year. Mm. And yeah, we had a sense that maybe parts of the world were moving in one direction while we were moving in the other. We wanted to look a little bit more closely at that. We also did a survey of workers in the Irish public service to ask them about their attitudes towards questions around work-life balance, questions around this idea of the four-day week that was really only starting to grow in a little bit of momentum at the time. And one of the findings that really struck me and really has stuck with me ever since was the huge volume of working parents, primarily women, who described how they had already started on reduced work hour schedules. Many of them had moved to four-day weeks, but they were doing it for reduced salary. So they were doing it effectively for a pay cut. And they were doing that for work-life balance reasons and for childcare reasons. And what they were saying en masse was that their responsibilities in the job were the same. Their expectations were the same. The kind of output they were producing each week was the same. And that kind of told me two things. It told me, first of all, we have a gender equality problem in the workplace that potentially work time reduction could help to uh, resolve. But also, secondly, this concept of Parkinson's law really holds true, which is the idea that a task will expand to fill the time that's available for its for its completion. And that was really a kind of an inspirational moment for me in terms of the direction that that my career has taken since then. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I know that concept that a task expands, but I didn't know there was a name for it. But in short, what you started advocating for at some point is not to do for 10 hour days, which is something that I've seen in the past, but to trim the work week from 40 hours to 32 hours, just knock off a day and keep the compensation the same. Correct. So this is something that that is really about changing the conversation away from the length of time that people are spending at the office, at the desk, or on the clock, and really focusing that on output. So moving away from this idea around the performance of hard work. So that kind of old school traditional model or mindset where somebody being the first person in the office in the morning and the last person to leave that night is some kind of a badge of honor. And to say, actually, what we should be focused on in 2022 is the drivers of real results. What are the things that are really moving the needle within organizations? And certainly, I'm of the view, and for a huge amount of organizations, we already have the productive capacity and the technological tools at our disposal to work shorter and to work smarter. And that actually, once you create the motivation and the infrastructure to address things like overlong and unnecessary meetings, distractions and interruptions in the workday, poor use of technology or or outdated wasteful processes, that actually offering a shorter working week without impacting on your company's bottom line or performance is something that is well within reach. Yeah, the pandemic obviously has brought working conditions into stronger focus, right? The thing is, we have all this technology, smartphones, email, instant messages, spreadsheets, but there's still like a lot of CEO and bosses who are sort of unmoved by that. They still want you to come into the office, even though it may not be the most productive use of time. I guess what I'm wondering is like, when you debate this with sort of people on the other side, do they say it's about efficiency? Well, I think one of the biggest things is that there's a lot of misconceptions about what we're actually talking about when we talk about the shorter working week. And it's very much not a one size fits all approach. So for example, you will often hear someone say, well, that couldn't work in this industry or in this particular context. And often the kinds of examples that they're using are for areas that right now don't work a five-day nine-to-five. So obviously, I'm not saying, well, all of a sudden now they should become a four-day nine-to-five. So of course, there will need to be different kinds of flexibility and different kinds of work scheduling and shift patterns to accommodate different sectors of the economy. 
The argument that we're making is that some version of reduced working time is achievable right across the economy. And that's, I think, really at the at the crux of the arguments that, you know, this is not about saying everyone can have Fridays off, for example, because if you look at the organizations that have actually moved to a four day week, only 47 percent of them in the most recent set of trial results hmm. actually had a model where it was Friday off for everyone. So this kind of traditional three day weekend, Thursday is the new Friday idea that people have in their minds. In a lot of cases, it looks quite different to that. You know, if you're a marketing agency and most of your work is around delivering specific projects for clients within a certain time frame, then yeah, it might make sense for you to close your office on a Friday and maximize the length of time that people on your team have available for collaboration Monday to Thursday. That model might work for you. But if you've got a customer facing, customer service support, sales, retail, if you've got these kinds of elements to your business, then of course that won't work. And therefore, it's about devising different rosters, different schedules to make sure that you can maintain that kind of service coverage right the way through the work week. Basically, what you're saying is that it's not necessarily that it's about efficiency, it's that there are benefits, like maybe people are more creative if they have more time off. Sure. There are other benefits. I'm not going to get into those now, but there are three major motivations that drive leaders and organizations to move to shorter work weeks. And they could be grouped as the first being productivity and engagement. So lots of organizations use this as a forcing function in order to enhance productivity and improve efficiency in their company. In other words, when they align the company's interests in the form of you know, your company goals, your metrics, your targets, with individual employee interests by offering this transformative benefit that really is life-changing for people in so many different ways, that you create this focus and motivation within your organization that can really deliver incredible results. The second is around well-being and burnout. I think that's the one that's probably best established and best understood, that pretty much all of the studies out there would suggest reduced working time is very closely correlated with improved well-being outcomes and reduced burnout among the workforce, which is something that a lot of organizations are grappling with. And then the third and final one is the one that really in the last couple of years, as we emerge out of the pandemic, has just skyrocketed up to the top of the charts around why leaders come to me interested in this concept. And that's recruitment and retention, that this is something that more and more leaders are turning to as a source of competitive advantage, that if they can pull this off within their organization and increasingly the conversation has moved on from a philosophical one of is the four day week pie in the sky. I think we're now at the point where people just accept and establish that this can work for a lot of businesses. And they're asking the question, can it work for my business in my particular context? And if it can, the edge that those companies give themselves when it comes to attracting and retaining talent is really quite significant. Atom Bank, the largest company in the UK that have done this, they're a major app based challenger bank in the UK. Their applications for open job postings has gone up more than 500% since they moved to the four-day week. Wow. This is happening. There's, you know, a bunch of companies in the UK doing it. There's some companies in Canada doing this too. My sense is that it's mostly tech companies though. So the first North American trial that we coordinated at four-day week global earlier this year had just a couple of smaller Canadian firms. This current one, which just started at the beginning of October, has a much more sizable cohort. I think there's something like 12 or 13 Canadian companies taking part. About half of those are based in Ontario or, or the GTA. And yeah, I mean, it is true to say that the volume and the critical mass of demand for this right now is in sectors like tech, ICT, software, finance, parts of professional services. So we've seen some law firms do this here in Canada, some marketing agencies. 
And that is absolutely the areas where this is becoming a trend and where it is not beyond the realms of possibility to suggest that perhaps by 2025, not offering the shorter work week in tech will become a competitive disadvantage rather than the reverse. We've seen examples of other, like, for example, we've worked with manufacturing companies that have managed to pull this off through process efficiencies on the factory floor. We've worked with hospitality companies who have really used this as a tool to to combat high staff turnover and have really adopted very innovative practices to make this work. So if you name any industry or any type of work, I can point you to a success story or an example of where it's worked. But it is much smaller numbers, whereas those other sectors, those knowledge-based sectors that maybe used to be primarily office-based, now are maybe, you know, hybrid or, or in some way remote. Those are the areas that we're really seeing a big pace of change towards a shorter working week. I have a question for you. I mean, I know a lot of people, a lot of parents in particular, have long wanted to work from home, but it just wasn't acceptable until the pandemic. We're seeing all sorts of weird shakeups in the labor market and, you know, people threatening to quit if they can't work from home, people moving to random faraway places from their office, just really buying into this. Do you have a take on where we are in the labor market right now, what the mood is and what the driving factors are? Well, I think it's interesting that you said that parents for so long craved the opportunity to work from home, but it wasn't possible. But I would slightly reframe that and say, well, of course, it was possible. It just wasn't permissible. We had all of the tools, the asynchronous communication, the ability for video meetings, events, and conferences. We had all of the digital and technological capacity required to do that many years ago. What happened was the impact of the pandemic made it permissible. It made the idea that you could run a global company from your kitchen table something that was acceptable within business and society. And I'm convinced and persuaded that the conversation about the shorter working week is the exact same, that this is something that I know from the work that I've done with organizations is achievable and that the benefits for those who make it happen are very real. And I think that economic recessions and various other external factors might slow down the pace of this movement, but I'm convinced it's only moving in one direction. And just one other quick point on that. The debate around the future of work and around flexibility, in my opinion, has become overly, overly obsessed with location of work. That's an important piece of the puzzle, but we should also be talking about how long are we working for and the way in which we work. And I think that that's where Shorter Work Week really allows us to drill down into why are we still working on average the same hours and the same work week that we did in the late 70s, early 1980s, before globalization, email, internet, digital communications. And how can we change the way that we work in order to realign the way our companies and organizations operate much more with the demand that I think so many people have post-pandemic, and and that genie is not going back into the bottle. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm just, I guess maybe surprised, but also 
you know, impressed at the fact that there is so much research. I mean, university research, company research, it seems like wellness coming out of the pandemic, there is a lot of money pouring into this. That's my sort of casual observation. Is that true? I think that certainly workplace well-being and burnout in most organizations has moved from something that was kind of an add-on. That was something that was, you know, was something that they recognized needed to be done and needed to be invested in, but maybe wasn't core or central to mission. Now, what we've seen is because of A, the burnout impact that lots of not just organizations are seeing amongst their employees, but lots of leaders have experienced or are experiencing and the challenge that that's posing for their organizations. Also, the demand factor and the fact that, as I said earlier, the impact of the pandemic has really I think, opened the eyes of a lot of workers and employees around what's possible. Um, and I think people's priorities have changed. You know, the value that people place on having that extra time to spend with family, community, pursuing new interests and hobbies and endeavors. I, I think that that is so much higher up the ranking order when people are thinking about their career than it, than it used to be. And organizations are having to respond to that. I think the organizations that are really forward thinking and dynamic are getting out ahead of that. They're seeing the trend. They're seeing the mood music. And they're saying, this is something that actually we think we can do this in our business. You know, if if all of these other companies have been able to pull it off and they're still profitable and they're still, you know, growing revenue, they're still productive. If we can do this, then we're going to put ourselves in a, in a pretty healthy position when it comes to hanging on to our best people and bringing in some quality talent to the organization. Yeah. When I think back to sort of what we currently have, you know, a five-day work week, where do we get the weekend from? My mind goes to the Gilded Age, but things have changed so much. It doesn't seem like safety in the workplace is the main consideration anymore for most workers. I'm not sure if the weekend was driven by safety concerns, but it does seem like, yeah, almost every worker, I want to say, craves more leisure time. How do you think times have changed since the last round of worker reforms were achieved? Well, I think if you look back at a century ago when the five-day week or the eight-hour day or the weekend as we've come to, to know it today came about, you know, this wasn't something that happened overnight. Uh, it wasn't something that happened in every country and every industry all at once. And it wasn't something that happened due to any one factor. You know, it was a combination of pioneering business leaders like Henry Ford in manufacturing, you know, labor unions bargaining for this in particular industries, civil society movements like the one that you mentioned. And it was a 20, 30-year cycle for this to become popularized and eventually enshrined into legislation right around the, the world. And what we've seen in the Western world is, you know, that was brought about by that kind of manufacturing industrial age where workers realized that they could produce more in less time and they wanted to bargain and they wanted an exchange for that. We've almost skipped an age because we've had that kind of third industrial revolution built around global and digital technology, the advent of email and the internet, which has totally changed the world. It's changed our technological and productive capacity, but it hasn't translated to any great change in the working week. And I think what we're seeing now is as we enter into this new age of automation, of AI, robotics, you know, are we going to allow the same thing to happen again? And I think what's happened is sometimes the five-day nine-to-five has just become something that is so socially and culturally enshrined that it took something like the pandemic. It took a great disruptor for people to start to question it. Now that they've started to question it, I don't think there's any going back. Amazing. <laughs> I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much for talking to me about this. 
No problem. I enjoyed it. Thanks. That was Joe O'Connor, director of the Work Time Reduction Center of Excellence in Toronto. Now I'm going to do something unexpected, which is that the Financial Post has a feature writer who's written about the four-day work week, who in a confusing and slightly bizarre twist is also named Joe O'Connor. And I caught up with other Joe O'Connor of the Financial Post to discuss this topic just a little more. Joe, thanks so much for coming on the show to talk to me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Gabe. I'm excited to be here. Okay, so you did a lot of reporting on the four-day work week. Was there like anything that was most surprising or interesting that you learned while doing this reporting? I think something that I found, one of the firms I interviewed, a uh, longtime PR firm in Toronto, they're a boutique shop called Praxis. It's had PepsiCo as clients for a long time. So a small place, but a very vibrant and thriving place. And the founder, woman Maureen Juniper, she's kind of a PR legend in Toronto and has been in the game three decades. And it always worked those 12, 14-hour days, Saturdays, weekends. Like her life was work. And she built this very thriving firm, Praxis, that her son now effectively runs. But the thing when they decided to toy around with an experiment into a four-day work week was how much of a force behind pushing that agenda uh, Maureen Juniper was. She was the founder. She paid her dues. She had built this place. And in building it, she'd had this moment, this awakening, knowing that, okay, the next generation of people who work in this business, we don't have to work this way. They don't have to work like I do. They don't have to work hard, but we can get the same results without killing ourselves to get them. And we can work differently. We can structure the hours differently. And we can still succeed as a firm. But I don't want the next generation of people to you know, bleed the way I have. I wouldn't have expected someone who was a six-day-a-week, you know, 80-hours-a-week worker to reverse course and be like, yeah, four days, that sounds good for the next generation. I feel like so much of this is about, well, I'm doing it, so you should do it too. But I'm kind of curious. I came into this thinking like four-day work week. My first impression of that is that's pretty radical, but may actually be, you know, totally plausible. And and I really think the roots of the four-day week as an idea that's buzzing around now has to do with the pandemic. Like who would have thunk on the end of February 2020 that within six weeks from that moment, everyone would be working from home and workflow would be continuing and life would be radically altered, but still going on. The world didn't stop work world. No. I think that opened a lot of people's eyes to thinking that maybe we can do things a little bit differently. And I think part of the problem of that work from home regime is, okay, work started bleeding into home life and it became all consuming. The home became work. However, what it did show us, I think a takeaway from it is we can work differently we can work efficiently. And I think the four-day work week kind of just flows naturally into that. We don't have to do things the way we did. We don't have to do things the way we've always been doing them because, hey, look, we can do it differently. And newspapers still get made. Uh, all the other things that still happen. The world didn't grind to a halt, but the world closed. And here we are almost three years later. So it is interesting how we process these changes in work And it made me think too a little bit about technology, like smartphones didn't exist when I started working. Absolutely. But that all kind of changed how much I worked. There have been these subtle changes. Uh, Maybe you can answer this. 
I don't really have a great sense of, you know, how many companies this is really going to be a possibility for. Yeah, that's a hard question. I don't know if I can answer that. But what I can say, though, that's interesting is you sort of think, okay, PR, I can see it happening because what they're doing is uh, they'll have half the staff around to service the clients on a Friday, and then half the staff is working the Monday. So they're never really closed. They're never, never unstaffed. There's always someone there to answer the call. But then you apply that to banking. And I was meeting with the CEO this week of First National Financial. Self-made guy, Stephen Smith, 71 years old, bootstrapped up to billionaire. And uh, we were just talking about all the changes of the last few years. And he has a background in computer coding. And he's a technology guy. And he brought this idea up. He didn't say four days. But he said, very soon, I can see things shifting in our offices to a four and a half day week. Wow. Where one o'clock and that's it, you're out. Yeah. That's a, a four and a half day week. And the guy who's saying this is someone who's made a billion dollars by working all the time. That is surprising. And so I think there's this realization that people can still be efficient and manage without having to put in those hours. And one of the ways I think they can manage to do all these things is by getting some time back to oneself, you become more effective as a worker. At least I know I do. If I'm well watered, fed, rested, and exercised, right. I can write something twice as fast as if I'm burning the midnight oil, wrestling with a lead on a story <laughs> at uh, 10 p.m. on a Thursday night. It's at a certain point that you become less effective as a worker. I think by giving people time back, you're actually giving to your business to make it more effective. No, I think you're right. I think there's all sorts of labor that doesn't really get valued. I, I would just say this about this topic, and I want to get your reaction to this. I don't really think it's about efficiency. Mm -hmm. To me, our business world, our economy is founded on a principle of growth. You know, every quarter companies, they need to gain more market share and grow. And so embedded in this philosophy somehow is this idea that people have to work as much as possible. And I could almost imagine like a schism, but between like companies that have offices where people go in and companies where people stay home and don't go in. Like in the tech sector, it seems like they're probably leading the charge because there's such a competition for talent. Well, I 100% agree with you. Like there is going to be, like you say, this sort of schism where some companies are going to step over the divide, especially in tech, as you say, because there's such a, an abundance of opportunity and not the talent to sell it. So if you're the superstar, rock star programmer, you're going to take your best offer. And companies aren't just altruistically saying, uh, we're going to work four days. There's also uh, motivation. Uh, stick that carrot out to the top tier programmer because, hey, maybe they'll come and work for you and you'll win because of it. But I think there's an assumption that some companies are, and industries are making that more is more, right? In this drive to grow, in this drive to reap more, in this drive to profit more, that you need to put in more hours to get that. I think there might be pushback to going to less hours, but I don't know if that actual belief that more uh, begets more, makes your company better, and lets your business grow. I don't know if that's true. It's just been the way it's been, and thus it will always be. But maybe that's not true. And maybe as other sectors have this arms race to attract talent and to attract a generation that's younger than us, the kids who are graduating from university and business schools today, maybe they'll be asking 
for something different. And maybe if the rock stars of that generation are asking for a four-day week, then you got to think some of these companies are going to start listening, right? Right. Tech companies, too, It's they're interesting, right? I can remember when the idea of having a ping pong table was novel. Right. And today, in, a, in some sectors, it's like table stakes. You know, what makes me, gives me pause about how much actual currency the four-day work week has is that I don't have like recent data, but throughout most of my adult life, union participation in North America has been declining. Like Joe O'Connor, the other Joe O'Connor, he came from basically a labor union in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. He was a union guy. Yeah. And so I could see like unions, like an organized effort by unions, but I don't know if they have enough power to affect change at a broad level throughout North America. Right. Just because the union participation across the board is down. Yeah. But maybe like so much of what unionism was structured upon, 20th century manufacturing, the whole movement that had its heyday in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, it was founded upon a very structured day. And maybe what technology has given us is the ability to have a very unstructured day and thus a very unstructured workplace and thus a very unstructured company. And interestingly, you know, tech companies with the ping pong tables, social outings, I know that Bank Montreal has opened and spent a whack of money on opening some new offices, sort of based more on this tech office concept. It is an acknowledgement that workspaces need to be adapted to the new work model. And the new work model is giving the employees, in a lot of instances, some flexibility and maybe giving them some more agency about what the work week looks like. So maybe it's a push from the bottom towards the top. Um, and maybe it, in some cases, the wise leader who's been there, done that, and spent way too many hours to get there, wanting to say there's a different way we can do business. Now, whether this happens in corporations with tens of thousands of employees, I don't know. Uh, maybe it starts small and grows into something big. I don't know. It's a fascinating topic. I'm going to give you the last word. I think the last word would be in the next 10 years, we're going to see 30% of companies shift to a four-day week work week. And we're all going to be better, happier, healthier people, as well as workers, because of it. And that's uh, what you've heard straight from the mouth of the other Joe O'Connor. <laughs> it's an amazing prediction. Our listeners can say they heard it here on Down to Business First. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on Down to Business, Joe. Yeah, no, my pleasure, Gabe. That's it. That's our Joe O'Connor four-day workweek-themed Down to Business show. Thank you all for listening. Bryce Hall composed and performed the original music, designed the logo, and executive produced this show. Pamela Heaven, Victoria Wells, and Noella Ovid provided web support and editing. I'm Gabe Friedman. I'll return next week with another episode. But in the meantime, check out FinancialPost.com for all your news about the Canadian economy and businesses.